The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Beth Coppage. 2 Peter 1. And I feel very excited about what Jesus has for us this morning. <clears throat> Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given us everything that leads to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and goodness, by which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises, that through these we may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust." But also, for this very reason, give all diligence to add to your faith virtue, or goodness, to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if, there are your, if these are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, no, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of the things, these things after my decease. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when a, such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For private interpretation. For no, prophecy never came by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Dear Lord Jesus, we love you today, and we assemble as a group of women to seek your face today. This beautiful week of Easter, of Holy Week, Lord, when we think of your death and resurrection on our behalf. And Jesus, 
we just ask that you might come and teach us today from thy word. You might quiet our hearts and minds. You might let our hearts be lifted and focused on thee. And we pray, as the Greeks did when they came, they said, we would see Jesus. And Lord, that is the cry of our heart. We would see you today. Now, Father, we ask that every word of my mouth and every meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in thy sight. And that, Lord, you would create in us clean hearts, O God. And that you would do only what you can do today. Jesus, transform us. Let us be women of burning hearts, women on fire for Jesus Christ. Change the worlds in which we live. Change us inside out, we pray. In your name, amen. Remember when we've been studying in 1 Peter, two key words in 1 Peter. Can anybody say them to me? Suffering and what else? Submission. Okay, and what was the pressure coming on the church of Jesus Christ in 1 Peter? It was coming from outside. So that the, he was preparing the believers for pressure and persecution from the outside world. Now the little book of 2 Peter is preparing the church of Jesus Christ for what happens when, from inside. Because the enemy hits us from outside pressures so that we'll fall. But then the enemy also comes, if he can't get us from the outside pressures, he will begin to eat away at the heart, at our hearts, and at the heart of us as believers. And so he will seek to destroy us from inside. And so Peter is getting ready to die. And we just read where he says, I am going to remind you of these things. You know these things, but I am reminding you of them again. And even after I go, I'm going to put some people in place that will continue to remind you of these things. That as the pressures come from outside, you'll stand. And as the pressures come from inside, you will stand. That you will not fail, but you will go on to glory and you will be faithful. So Peter addresses the church and that that happens from inside the body of Christ that kind of eats our way, eats our passion for Jesus and destroys us from inside. So he is addressing the church of Jesus Christ once again. He starts out and says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. The first chapter deals with Christian holiness. The second chapter deals with false teachers that will come in and try to dissipate the people of God because wrong thinking leads to wrong actions and many times leads to immorality. So he's talking, he's getting them prepared so that when false teachers arise as the apostles fade out of the scene, that as false teachers arise, the church of Jesus Christ will not fall, but will carry on. And then the last chapter is devoted to the second coming of Jesus Christ because false teachers had already come and said, they keep telling you Jesus is coming again and he hasn't come back yet. And Peter, and you shouldn't believe them, and they're just putting seeds of doubt into the people of God. And Peter says, don't listen to them. Jesus is coming again. We are people with a hope. And this is not all there is. The best is yet to come. And so the third chapter, he says, Jesus is coming, and he will come to take you to, into, his, into heaven and into the heart of God 
personally or he will come with judgment and with fire. So it's a powerful little book. Now we're going to deal today with chapter 1 and I think truly it is one of my favorite chapters of scripture. And I do not know of a chapter that has helped me more in my personal life and the scripture verses that you have to memorize in this whole first part about his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. If you learn no other verses, ask God to make those, put those over your sink and learn those so that as you get in into difficult circumstance, you can remember that Jesus Christ has made available for every one of us all that we need to live life and to live life in a godly way. That's a staggering thought. Now let's start with the beginning. Simon Peter, and he talks here in 1 Peter, he only says Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. In 2 Peter, he says Simon Peter, and he gives his old name before Jesus met him and his new name. His old name was Simon, and Simon was kind of, he, he wasn't stable. He was insecure. When the pressure came, he fell. Peter, God, Jesus gave him a new name and said, Peter, I'm giving you a new name, and it's a rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the man in chapter 13 of John, who says, Oh, I will never leave you. I will never fail you. Everyone will deny you, but I will not deny you. And the end of John, who is the first one to deny him? Peter. And he swears and says, I never knew him. So what Jesus is saying, that that... Uh, we see in John where he was insecure. He wasn't. He had a divided heart. He wanted to follow Jesus but could never quite get his act together. God, Jesus in Acts 2 changed his life so that he did get his act together and he became Peter and the church of Jesus Christ was built upon. The Lord Jesus himself, but in a good measure, the works and teaching of the apostle. He was a bondservant of Jesus Christ. What does a bondservant mean? It means one who has surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ. In other words, he is a slave to Jesus Christ and he has entered into a relationship where he has entered into that relationship willingly. So that there was a chance in, in the Old Testament it talked about if you worked for a master, he gave you your freedom and you said, no, after seven years, I don't want my freedom. He would put, take them and make a hole in his ear and he would be a bond slave to that master for the rest of his life. Symbolic of what you and I need to do in our relationship to Jesus Christ if we are going to pass so that we are not shifting and with a divided heart, so that our heart is set so that we can withstand persecution, we can withstand the evil day, so that we can stand in the day of trial, we need to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ where he is Lord of all, and that he is master and we are a bondservant to Jesus Christ. Not only is Peter a bondservant to Jesus Christ, he settled the lordship issue in his life, but he is also an apostle of Jesus Christ. He is a sent one. And the main purpose of his existence is to share what Jesus Christ has done in his life with uh, the rest of the world. And he did it very well. Now I think that is symbolic and a good measure of what he's talking about in this little book. He is not talking about people that are still in the Simon category. Are you? Are you there? Have you got a double-minded heart? Some days you walk with God and some days you don't. 
Has there ever come a time in your life when you surrendered things, everything in your heart, mind, soul, and body to Jesus Christ? And you could say with Peter, I am a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. If you have not come there, you cannot appropriate all that God has for you. And so he has settled that issue. He's, who is he writing to? He is writing to those who have a like precious faith. Those who love Jesus Christ and have entered into a relationship with him where he is Lord and Master. And they have a like precious faith. He says, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now what happens when you enter into a total love relationship with Jesus Christ so he is Lord of all in your life? Tremendous things happen. What's the first thing? The thing that happens is we have multiplication of grace and peace in our life. Is it true in your life? Is it true in my life? And it says, how do we get this multiplication of grace and peace in our life? The knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. It is in knowing personally Jesus Christ and knowing the God the Father through the person of Jesus Christ that out of that knowing him we enter into a love relationship with Jesus Christ and grace and peace is multiplied in our life. The question is do we know him like that? Do we know him intimately? Do you know scripture uses the word know for when a husband knows his wife Adam knew Eve and and the and um Cain and Abel were born. It was in knowing the one, knowing the other, that there was in that intimacy that there was uh, spirit, there was physical reproduction. The Bible talks about a husband knowing a wife, a wife knowing a husband, and out of that intimacy comes fruitfulness. And this is what the whole, the key word in Second Peter is knowledge. It is that you and I know Jesus Christ, and we know, and He knows us. And there's nothing hidden. There's a relationship of intimacy, vulnerability, openness, and cart holiness so that God can come in and his life can be planted in the likes of you and me and our lives can be transformed. And as we enter into that intimate love relationship with Jesus Christ, grace and peace are multiplied. And the next thing happens. His divine power enters into you and to me and that as life hits us we are able to respond with godly responses so that we do not respond in old ways old habits old addictions old patterns God can come in and move into our hearts so that we respond with grace and peace not just a little bit but a multiplication of it and not only that he can do something he can put his nature inside us and live his life out in us so that out of our lives comes holiness of heart and godly living and godly thinking now we say that's not possible but either scripture is true or it's not true and as different things have hit me, even this past week, I've said, Lord, your divine power is available for me so that I can respond in godly ways. Now, Lord, change my old patterns so that my responses are God responses and not Beth responses. And he's been helping me. Now, I blew it toward the end of the week. <laughs> 
and uh, and he and I just I thought, oh Jesus! But at least what we're seeing, we're beginning to see. But there is an, a power there, a supernatural power. And it is not power like P-O-W-E-R. Do you know what it is? It is a person. It is the supernatural person of Jesus Christ who comes and tabernacles himself in your life and in my life. And then he lives his life out through us. Is that not good news? And then what happens is he calls us to glory and virtue. That the knowledge of him was called us. He is calling you and I don't live below your privileges. Live as children of the king and let me begin to live my life out in you. What keeps us from living that way? Do you remember the story in C.S. Lewis? I've told it before but I haven't told it in a long time. Do you know what I think? I think this is what keeps us from living in our privileges as children of the king. So that the world can begin to see what God can do in the likes of you and me. And they can say, well, if he can do that for Beth Coppage, surely he can do something for me. Because he has so much more to work with with me. <laughs> you know? So what, let me, remember the story in C.S. Lewis? It is often the things, the funniest things we hold on to that keep God from being able to indwell us and transform us and make us people for God after his own heart. In the story by C.S. Lewis of the great divorce, remember the man goes from heaven to hell. There, he's in hell. And hell is like shadows and darkness. And it's always gray and it's always rainy. Very similar many times to London. Just rain, 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 rain. And you just think, oh. Just stop raining or rain like it does in Georgia and just get it out of your system and let the sun shine. But it didn't do that. Just little drizzly rain. Gray. But in the great divorce, you are able to go from hell, if you would like to, on a bus, and you're able to go to heaven. And the bus takes you to the celestial city, and you go to the outskirts of the celestial city, and then there are people, angels, there are people that have been trans, have their heavenly bodies come to meet you, and if you would like, you are able to stay and go to heaven. It's an allegory. It's not the true picture. So on this bus, we, if you start the story of the great divorce, and C.S. Lewis has a man on the bus, and they fight all the way as they get to heaven. Well, they get to the outskirts of heaven. And one of the stories in, in the book talks about a man that comes out, and, and the, everything's very real, and these are phantoms, they're ghosts, and all the grass and everything hurts their feet goes right through them so that they walk very gingerly and, and the man on the bus that's, that we're seeing the, everything through his eyes um, he sees one celestial being talking to one of the ghosts that had come up on the bus with him and he looks and the celestial being draws near to the, the, the phantom and he says wouldn't you like to stay and I've been sent to take you into the heavenly kingdom. And the ghost said, oh, I'd like to stay. But he said, you know, I can't stay. And the heavenly being said, well, why not? He said, well, you see, I, I, I've got this lizard. 
And he said, yes, I see it. And there was a lizard on the ghost's shoulder, a yucky green lizard. And the lizard began to talk, 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 talk. And as he talked and talked and, and just talked and talked and he kept saying to the phantom, he said, you don't want to stay here. I'm not comfortable here. I'd never be comfortable here. And I'm gonna, let's just go back to hell where we belong. And you just be so much happier in hell. And, and, the, and the celestial being said, well, why are you letting the lizard dictate to you? Let me just kill the lizard so you can stay and go to heaven and have, enjoy all that God has for you. And and the phantom said, Oh, I couldn't do that. I've had this lizard all my life. And the lizard assures him, You couldn't do that. I mean, we've been together all your life. I mean, what would you do without me? The little green lizard on your shoulder, you wouldn't want to live. And the celestial being said, Do you like that lizard? And the man said, Oh, I hate it. He said, Well, why don't you let me just get rid of it? Why are you in bondage to that silly green lizard? Why don't you let me just break its back so you can go on to all that God has for you? And the the ghost looked at the celestial being and he said, If I do that, I'll die. He said, You already have. He said, If I do that, it will hurt. It will kill me. And the celestial being looked at him and he said, it won't kill you, it will set you free. It won't kill you. But he said, I'm not saying it won't hurt. And the green lizard sat there on his shoulder and chat, 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 talked. You, I'll be ever so good. I won't say a word. You won't even know I'm here. I'll be so quiet. I'll be the best lizard you've ever had. Blah, 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 blah. And the, and the phantom looked back and said to the heavenly being, said, you hurt me just being here. You're so hot and so holy. I, I just feel, I, it hurts me just to be in your presence. What would it do if I ever gave you permission to get rid of that lizard? And honestly, the celestial being said, I didn't say it wouldn't hurt. I said it wouldn't kill you. And it will be the means to set you free so you can enjoy all that God has for you, which is Jesus himself and all eternity. And a great struggle went on in the phantom's being. And the lizard talked and talked and talked and talked. And then all of a sudden, in desperation, the phantom turned to the celestial being and he said, I hate that lizard. In God's name, I give you permission. Kill him. And in a flick of the wrist, the celestial being took that lizard's tail, flipped him down, and knocked him to the ground and broke his back in two. And he writhed on the ground. And then before their very eyes as they looked, he began to change. And as they watched, the green lizard turned into a white charger before their very eyes. And as they stood there watching, the celestial being looked at the phantom, who began to get more real and more real and more real as the power of the evil influence 
that he had given his life to was broken. And in a twinkling of an eye, the transformed man jumped on the white charger and made off for eternity in heaven. Do you know what? I think First Peter, Second Peter is talking about there are green lizards in your life and in my life that we will not let go of and they will keep us from heaven. And they will keep us in hell here and in hell the rest of eternity. I don't know what the green lizard might be in your life, but there are things that keep us from taking hold of all God's got for us. And we cannot appropriate what God's got for us until our hearts are clean and we let go of every single green lizard in our life and we let God have rulership and ownership inside us. He and he alone is worthy of it. And only he can set us free. And if there's anything you're keeping in your heart that you are holding on to today, you and I need to let it go because what is at stake is your eternal soul, my eternal soul, and all of eternity. And we hold on to green lizards that we hate, that talk to us and keep us in bondage and keep us down and keep us defeated for a hundred years. And Peter is saying to us, I am getting ready to die. I am going to the cross. Nero is calling my name, but this is not the end. There is a hope yet to come. And he said, do not let anything, do not let anything keep you from all God's got for you. Do not let anything keep us from all he's got for us. Let go of the green lizards in our souls. And he said, because when you and I let go of them, then Jesus himself can come and tabernacle inside you and I and out of our lives can flow holiness of heart, life, soul, mind, and body. And out of that kind of love relationship with Jesus Christ, we will not be barren. We will not be unfruitful. We will not stumble. And there will be an entrance into the eternal kingdom of God. But we do not have any power on the world in which we live because we are sinful, degenerate people. And we will not let go. What do we hold on to? I'll tell you what we hold on to. Do you know 46% of all the novels that are read in this country are romance novels? And now, since 1993, they are delving into the occult. We have no business reading them. We need to burn them. If you've got one in your closet, you go home and you burn it up. What are you watching on TV? You cannot watch it. You cannot have the fullness of God in your life, so you are transforming the world in which you live, and you are a godly, spirit-filled, anointed woman unless your heart is clean, and unless there is no green lizard that you are hanging on to. Is it a habit? You've got to get rid of it. You've got to say, Jesus, I cannot do anything about it, but Jesus, I come to you. You died... 2,000 years ago so that I could be set free. I will not live below my privileges anymore. Loose me and let me go, Jesus, to the full will of God. And then out of that kind of relationship, what God will begin to build in your life and my life is he will begin to build into our lives the characteristics of God himself. So that out of your life, goodness comes. First of all, faith. So that we have, what is faith? It is the, build, the, the, the bottom line. It is wholehearted surrender to God. <laughs> what is faith? Halfway surrender? 
wholehearted surrender to God as he has revealed himself in his word and in Jesus Christ faith is the starting point of a relationship with Jesus and a reference point for all that follows and the key phrase in that is wholehearted surrender have you and I done it? have you and I done it? then he says add to that faith goodness let me tell you a story one of our children when she was four we were living in Massachusetts and our little neighbor lady one day she was playing out in the dirt and uh, our sand we were at the beach we lived near the beach and the little neighbor lady came out 63 and she looked at her and she was just playing with the sand and she said Miss Tracy do you love Jesus? And she looked at her and said, well, honey, of course I love Jesus. Everybody loves Jesus. Good little Methodist lady. And then she looked at her again and she said, no, Miss Tracy. I mean, do you love Jesus with all your heart? And she couldn't answer. And two weeks later, she found the Lord. She said, I never could get away from that question because no, I did not love Jesus Christ with all my heart. That's what faith is, where there's no divided heart anymore. We make a commitment to love him no matter what with all of us. Then you add to faith goodness. What is goodness? It is best described by moral excellence. And then moral excellence any trait or virtue that might elicit praise from the people of God because of its Christ likeness goodness is the biblical sense is measured by the word of God rather than social popularity or political correctness so that what is goodness it is moral excellence goodness is where you and I do what is right whether it is expedient, whether it is convenient, whether it is what we want to do or not, there is a commitment in our hearts to doing what's right. Remember the story of Jean Valjean in Les Miserables? He was convicted and put in the Bastille in prison for 19 years because he stole a loaf of bread to help his sister feed her hungry children. He was just a kid and he came out a man he was angry and his first night out of prison he had no place to stay and he was hungry and a Catholic bishop took him in and he fed him a good meal and bedded him down in the guest room of his home and he stole the silverware <laughs> he stole the silverware well, he didn't make it far down the street, and the next morning there was a knock on the bishop's door, and he realized what had happened to the silverware, and the constable came with Jean Valjean. And the constable said, I found your guest, and he's just a thief, and he needs to go back to the Bastille. And he said, look, here's your silverware in his pockets. And the bishop looked at Jean Valjean, and he said, oh, constable, there's been a mistake. He said, these are gifts. And he said, looked at Jean Valjean, and he said, Jean, you forgot the candlesticks. I'm so glad the constable brought you back. 
And he went and took the two silver candelabra. That's what God wants out of you and I. So moral excellence comes out of our lives. The commitment to doing what's right, no matter if it's costly. And do you know what happened? In that act of obedience that the bishop did, that man's whole life was turned around and Jean Valjean was saved. The next thing we're to add to our faith is knowledge. Knowledge of God's word. To the Jews, knowledge began with God and was always tested by his word. It is an active concept as one acquires, tests, scrutinizes, evaluates, and validates all information and insights according to the perfect standard of the word. If you and I are going to be fruitful Christians and have these seven characteristics in our lives, we are going to be women committed to God's word and we are going to be women who bring our lifestyle under the word of God, not change the word of God to fit our lifestyle. So there are some things we cannot do. We can't flirt with our neighbor's husband. It's wrong. We can't have an emotional attachment with another man. It is wrong. We cannot steal. It is wrong. We cannot cheat. It is wrong. We are to be very careful how we treat the Sabbath. It is very important to God's heart how we treat his day. And it hurts his heart. We are not to buy and sell on the Sabbath. We are to flee that. We are to be very careful what we do with God's day. We are to seek his face and seek it in company with other Christians. And there's to be something so different about our lifestyle that the neighbors say, oh, she's not there, she's at church. She's not there. She doesn't, she, there's a sanctity about the Sabbath. There are some things that you and I are going to have to bring our life under God's word. And this will be contested. It will be contested. And if it is not contested in your life, it will be contested in your husband's life. I remember when we were, Al was in, he went to Asbury. And then he, he had to leave for family reasons and went to a big university in the South. And um, while he was there, he, he, had, he knew Jesus. And they had Bible classes, but, he, but as he was studying and stuff, he prayed that God would help him not to lose his faith. He sat through the Bible classes and never realized what was happening in his head. So he began to get a very faulty view of Scripture. You can just believe that the Bible contains the Word of God. You don't need to believe this is the Word of God. And he didn't even realize what had happened in his heart. He got to grad school at our, our seminary at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. And it was an, an evangelical seminary. It was, an, and they, it was a neo-Orthodox seminary. And as they were teaching, some of the professors were evangelicals and some were not. He was in an Old Testament class and they began to present the JEDP theory on Old Testament theology. Well, in the providence of Jesus Christ, another one of his classmates was a converted communist, card-carrying card communist, Chris Wigglesworth. 
And he had already had a PhD in geology, and he'd been a communist seeking to right the wrongs in the world, and then encountered Jesus Christ. So he decided he wanted to get his uh, divinity degree as well. So he and Al ended up in the same class. Well, as a scientist, when the theological professor presented all the data on the JEDP theory, he laid it all out. Chris Wigglesworth went home, took a Bible, and looked up every single reference. He was a scientist. He was not going to believe what he could not validate. And as he went through all of them, one day Al came over for popcorn, and he said, Coppage, look at this. He said, this is ridiculous. Here's a quarter of a verse. Here's a half a verse. Here's a tenth of a verse. He said, none of this fits together. He said, I'm not going to believe this. I am going to take the word as an errant truth. And Al said, I looked at that Bible all sliced up, and something in my heart said, I am too. And he began to take the turn back to historic Christian faith. He never even realized up to that point how much he'd wavered. And you and I are going to have to, as women, pray that God keeps our hearts committed to his word, and then we're going to have to pray the same for our husbands because we will be sterile as evangelicals if we do not stand to a high view of Scripture. Remember last week I shared about Billy Graham? where he took the word out and he was the battle of his life and he put it on that stump and he said, Lord, I choose to believe this is your word and it is God's gift to the world and I will preach it. You bless the results. I choose to believe it. And in that, and we never heard of the man that didn't believe it, but look what God did with the man that chose to believe it. This is his revealed word to us and you and I need to be women of the word. And we need to build our life on the knowledge of the word. And we need to beware of the subtle temptation of the devil to swerve us one way or to the right or left. And if we have a question as to what we are to do, we are to see if it stacks up with the word of God. If it is not in the word, we are not to touch it. The next thing he says is self-control. This refers to spirit-empowered restraint. Only God can give us self-control. We can have it in one area of our life, but we can be all out of it in another. Only Jesus can come, and that is only when we're under his lordship. We are addicted to something unless we are addicted to Jesus Christ. He alone sets us free. It is the spirit-empowered restraint to say no to fleshling impulses based on our faith, our virtue, our knowledge, and a supernatural self-restraint that should be evident in every one of our lives. This includes control over our life, our words, and our moral behavior. And only Jesus Christ can do this, where he comes in and we appropriate his presence so that he can bring into our lives self-control. And we can come and say, Jesus, I don't have this in such and such an area. And I appropriate, please, I give you permission. Do for me what I cannot do for myself. And if you think you're the only one battling that, you are wrong. Every single one of us is in the shame shape. We all need his supernatural presence to bring into our life every area so it is under his control. The next one is perseverance. This is God's answer to the discouragement and weariness in doing good that eventually invades every Christian's life. 
It includes staying power, endurance in the face of opposition or adversity, steadfastness in the face of ridicule or public dis, um, disapproval. Whatever the circumstances, we steel ourselves in God's gracious power to never give in, never give way, and never give up. Because sooner or later, especially those going into full-time Christian service, you are going to be on the front line and you are going to say, why am I pouring my life out for these people? I don't see any results. And the very people you give yourself to will knife you in the back and hurt you. There will be ones that will do it and you'll say, no, get me out of here. I don't need any more knifing. And that's when we need to hold on to Jesus because the same thing happened to him, but he submitted to it and God used it redemptively. I read a story that always made me so sad. There were two Swedish missionaries that went to Africa about 1920s. And they were gung-ho and on fire for Jesus. But it's a very difficult time. And Africa was like a graveyard for white missionaries during that time. And, and they left and they had two, a uh, little boy and then a little girl. And they preached and preached and preached and had one person respond to Jesus Christ. A little boy. And then the wife died in childbirth. And the husband, David, was so distraught. He said, Lord, you have abandoned me. Here we came with white hot hearts. We were all on fire. I've lost my wife. We haven't had any fruit. And he took his little boy and went back to Sweden, leaving his baby girl. She was too she was, they said she'd never live. And he just left her with other missionaries. They both died. And another missionary family took her and raised her. And she grew up in the United States. She went back as an adult, married a preacher and lived for God, went back as an adult to Sweden to find her father, who had since remarried, divorced, had a mistress, was an alcoholic in the, slum, in, in the poor section of Stockholm. She found him. And she said, Daddy, do you know what happened with your one convert that you and mother gave your lives for? 600 people in that whole tribe through that one child found Jesus Christ. The whole tribe turned to Jesus. He is a stalwart leader in the church of Afri in that part of Africa. It was not all in vain. And she led her daddy back to Jesus Christ and six months later he died. But what if he had held on? What if he had held on? Do you know what I read? God expects his children to be so confident in him that in a crisis they are the ones upon whom God can rely. So that when light, that's Oswald Chambers, when things come into our lives that are so painful, so hard to understand, so that we just reel under the impact of it and think, where is God to have allowed these? He has abandoned me. If we will persevere, if we will not give up, if we will hold on to God, even though we cannot understand anything that happens, there will come a time where God will say, I can rely on that one, even though the ill... Life is so evil that I can hold on to that one. She will not let go of me. 
Isn't that a challenge? Isn't that a challenge? We are to persevere. I heard of another mother who was praying for her son who was so lost. And it was during the Second World War. And they called and said that her, or get, she got a telegram that said her son had died. She took the telegram to the Lord at the foot of her bed, knelt down and said, Jesus, he has not found you yet. You told me he would be saved. Do I, is this telegram right or wrong? And she said, no, I believe it's wrong. So she sent back to the war department and said, you have made a mistake. My son could not be dead, yet he has not found the Lord. They researched it and found that she was absolutely right. It was a misnomer. It was a miscommunication. His son was alive. He came home and he found the Lord. And she said, now he can go to heaven. That is called perseverance in the life of a mother. We say, no, Jesus, I'm holding on. I will not let go. I am holding on. So whatever we're facing, don't give up. And when the adversity, just hold steady. Hold steady. And keep our eyes on Jesus. The next will help you. And it helped me last night. Godliness is the next thing. So our responses are godly. Godliness always refers to a person's reverent, devout, pious, obedient response to Jesus Christ. It is lived out through our actions, our words, our thoughts, and our attitudes, which honor him simply because he lives. And I read again last night from The Hiding Place with Corey Ten Boom and Betsy when they were in Ravensbrück, the concentration camp, 96,000 women died in that concentration camp. And remember the story where Betsy was getting so frail and she couldn't do her quota of work and so she only could get just a little bit of the gravel that they were to lift up and the guard was, they called the snake, was so mean and began to beat Betsy and Corey just ran to get her and and Betsy looked at her and the welts and the wounds were all over a little tuberculosis ridden body and she said don't hate Corey don't hate she said don't look at the wounds look only to Jesus and you know some of you are hurting so deeply that we lose our way. And Jesus is saying, don't look at the wounds or the rejection or the disappointment or the hopes that have died. Don't look at any of those things. Look only to Jesus. And remember Betsy's other response when they got thrown into the deeper part of Ravensbrook Prison? <laughs> And remember, it was absolutely flea-ridden. And Corey was so mad. And she said, how could God put us in a place like this? She's, and then Betsy said, Corey, he says, rejoice in everything, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning us. And she said, I don't want to rejoice. And Betsy said, let's think of what we have to be thankful for. One, we have Jesus. Well, yes, that was right. 
Two, we have each other. Oh, that was right, Corey said. And three, she said, let us even thank him for the fleas because it was just full of fleas. And Corey said, I can't thank him for fleas. And Betsy said, well, I will. It says everything. And do you know what? They started a ministry. There was one light bulb at the far end of that barracks with thousands of women in it. Just, and they had one, and right down at the end, and they had gotten, they had their little New Testament. And at night, they would go down to the little yellow light bulb and read the New Testament in Dutch and then translate it into German and then it go back in Greek and in Polish and in uh, French all the way back through those women and nobody disturbed them, nobody disturbed them, nobody disturbed them. They never saw a guard in those barracks ever. And it was just a couple years later when they were on knitting detail because they were so feeble they couldn't work anymore. They found that none of the guards came to that barracks because of the fleas. And the power of Jesus went back every night, language after language after language, because of the fleas. She says, praise him in everything. Those are godly responses. And we're not even in Ravensbrook. And I don't even, God's got to do something new in me. And then there's one more story I read in the night. Remember when they beat the little retarded woman in the line? Just senseless killing. And Corey came to Betsy. And Betsy said, Corey, when we get out, we need to make a home for them. And Corey said, yes, we do. Meaning the little retarded lady. And do you know... Then she looked at Betsy, and she knew Betsy didn't mean the little retarded woman. She may have meant that too, but she meant the guard who was brutalizing the woman. There was a whole different response because she had the responses that Jesus has. The ones where he's beaten, where he's knocked about, he still responds in love enough this Easter week to give his life for us. Godliness is where my responses begin to be not best responses or yours anymore, but his, but his. Then brotherly kindness, where we begin to give our lives for one another. A sincere concern and caring for others. It begins in the family of faith and extends outward as a tangible prerequisite and reflections of Christ's love. And that's what the world sees. And then the last one is the agape love that is perfectly and ultimately illustrated by the love of God expressed toward us when Jesus Christ died at the hands of a lost race he came to save. It is characterized with a joy and a willful expression of selflessness, devotion, commitment toward God, toward us, toward God, then toward fellow believers, and finally toward a lost world. 
Jesus wants to come and build these things into our lives. If you and I begin to live like this, you know what? Scripture's right. We won't be fruitless or barren. We will be fruit-producing Christians. Eternity will be different because there'll be people there that have seen Jesus and your responses and mine. And God's, God will be glorified. I want to close with one story, and then I want to close with this scripture from Ezekiel. Then the nations will know that I am Lord when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. Ezekiel 36, 18. Do you know, we've had Korea on our hearts because some of our loved ones have gone to Korea. And I remember a story from OMS that I heard from one of the Kilburns about... um, It was Christmas, and it was right after the Korean War, and Korea was, South Korea was getting over some of the effects of that war. And one of the missionaries was headed out on Christmas morning to an early morning Christmas service. And as they were going over a bridge that they'd gone over many times, they heard a cry. They were in an open jeep, and so they heard this cry. And it was loud enough that they, uh, they, they listened and they thought, where is that cry coming from? Went back over the bridge and then listened, listened. And then the missionary felt, well, it must be coming from under the bridge. So they got out, went under the bridge, and there they found a little Korean mother all wrapped up and she was dead from the cold. And she had given birth in the night under the bridge and had a little baby boy that she had totally wrapped after she'd given birth in her warm clothes. And he was just as alive and healthy as he could be and just as hungry as he could be and squalling his heart out. And the missionary picked up the baby and then took the mommy and they buried the mommy And then the missionary felt that God had given that baby. They couldn't find family. And so that baby became her son. And they raised that son. When that son was 12 years of age, one Christmas morning, he said to his his American mama, he said, would you take me to the bridge, to the spot, to the spot where my mother gave her life that I might live. And she said, oh, yes. So the two of them got up early, and they went to the bridge, went under it, and took, he, she took him to the very spot she had found the little mother. And then something very unusual happened. The young son began to take off his warm clothes, And he said, Mother, were you this cold for me? As he took off his coat. And then as he took off the next layer, he said, Were you this cold for me that I might live? And then he took off the next layer. Until he was, all his clothes were off. He was just there huddling in his underwear. And he said, Dear beloved mother, were you this cold 
for me that I might live. And do you know what? That's what love is, that Jesus Christ died for us that we might live and not just survive, but live with the fullness of his presence indwelling us so that out of your life and my life, he would shine and there would be goodness and self-control and Jesus' love and brotherly kindness and God's presence could be revealed to a lost world because of what he's done in us. Jesus loved us enough to die for us. The question is, what are you willing to do with Jesus' love? Are you and I holding on to a green lizard that we won't let go of? That we will go to hell over rather than let go of? God is asking us today for some women who will say, Jesus, I want to do for you what you have done for me. I want to give you all of myself. Dear Lord Jesus, we praise you today. We cannot praise you enough that you were willing to die for us and that you laid down your life that we might live and, Father, not just survive, but Jesus, for, to have joy and, and, and peace and grace and fruitfulness in our lives, that we would know you and love you. And Jesus, we live below our privileges and we grieve your heart. Lord, make our hearts surrender today. Get rid of every green lizard that's here today. Let us give you permission to break the backs so that, Lord, we might enter into the joy of the Lord. And this Easter season, we might love you with all our hearts, not just halfway, but with all of us. Jesus, do for us today an Easter miracle. Set your people free to be radically in love with Jesus. Oh, Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.